Welcome to another episode of The Coiling Solution, where my goal is to provide you with awareness and actionable insights. And today we're going to talk about interviewing skills. And let's be honest, getting to the interview, okay, cutting through what could be a pile of resumes or cluttered inbox in and of itself takes a bit of work. But imagine getting to the interview and being judged by anything other than the skills required for the job. Today, I'm going to introduce Chris Delaney into this conversation. Chris is an interview coach, a hypnotherapist, and the author of What Is Your Interview Identity? Chris, welcome to The Quilling Solution. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I'm loving your energy already, so it's going to be a good show. Oh, yeah. It should be a good show. It's a, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. I love figuring out how to help people be more successful, go further, go faster. And uh, as uh, someone I've, I've known said, his father used to say, experience is the best teacher, but wisdom is learning from somebody else's experience. So nice. <laughs> no, I love that, have... actually, because get, get the expertise of people who spend hundreds of thousands of hours like practicing, researching, rehearsing, and then use what they learn, quick learning. Exactly. Exactly. So before we jump into the meat, tell tell us something that uh, you could share about yourself that even those closest to you may not know about Chris. Well, I come across as some like confident guy. I teach charisma, you know, I teach people to overcome fears, phobias and anxieties. But like everyone else in the world, we always have a little bit of anxiety with new situations. So even though people look very confident, look charismatic, all of us suffer from a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, uh, anxieties and fears. Yeah, and it's it's funny when when you coach it, people don't expect that you'll have it, right? People people expect that you'll be a hundred percent bulletproof and confident in everything you do. So that's awesome. That's, that's definitely awesome. right. I, I know some uh, actors and comedians as well, especially comedians. You think they just could they go on stage and they're funny and they interact with the audience. You think that yes. person is just so confident. But when you meet them after stage, like, oh, you know, I didn't think that joke went round, or I was dead nervous before it. We all have the same fears and, and anxieties. Over the years, I don't know about you, I've taken the Myers-Briggs a number of times. And I've gone from like a heavy eye in TJ, right? And all my numbers being, you know, really at the borders of all those things to coming in closer. But I actually moved from like an I-7 to an E-2, Okay. So from introvert, introvert to extrovert. And I always attribute it to the jobs and spending more time with people and leadership and things like that. But still in my natural state, I believe I'm an introvert. For those that have known me and have seen me speak and do something, oh, no, you can't be an introvert. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm totally uncomfortable uh, getting on stage and doing all the speaking and whatnot. I've just learned how to do certain things and embrace certain habits in order to better prepare me for it. Um, I think that's really key for folks to understand that, you know, any uh, diagnostic tests and things that you take help identify you at your natural state and where you're coming from. It doesn't mean that's where you have to rest and you can go outside of those comfort zones. I, I totally agree with that, especially like Myers-Briggs. You, I think you're a little bit different in different situations as well. So you might be, I don't know, more extrovert at work and more introvert at home or vice versa. And all these little... Um, different personality types or like you said they're always on a scale as well aren't they and going back to like the anxiety thing as well like the anxiety the flip to that is excitement and energy isn't it so the flip to introvert is extrovert the flip to anxiety is excitement and energy so you can move that scale of anxiety up to energy that's all it is it's just something inside you that you can push in the right direction 
So now let's go into this work a little bit. You know, the whole idea of being more successful in interviews and what to some, you know, I don't know about you and what's happening in the UK, but over in the US right now, uh, there's a struggle to find talent. Right. In a lot of different places, particularly uh, what I see is in the retail environments, fast food environments and such. There are signs posted. You know, we'll take your app by text <laughs> even <laughs> and we'll do the interview by Zoom, so on and so forth. Right. But that still means there's going to be a litany of applicants. I know I posted a job for something we want to do here at the CoreLink Solution. Uh, two different jobs. I mean, Chris, within three or four days, well over 100 applicants and, and the skill set ran the gamut in terms of what people brought to the table. So talk to me about, I guess, first of all, let's go to the research. What what even got you to pursue the research of this? COVID. Is <laughs> so that right? COVID come, we was in a lockdown. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a career advisor, if that's like my sort of uh, main job role, and I specialize in interview, interview techniques. But I was like, COVID came, lockdown, but I'll do a little bit more uh, research just to help my clients. So I started reading all these academic research papers on the job interview process. But they're all designed for the employer to help the employer predict the job performance of each applicant to offer the best applicant the job role. And I thought, oh, we need to flip this to make it more suitable uh, for the job applicant. So mm. from all this research I found, I started creating the interview prediction grid where you can measure your uh, likelihood of getting a job outcome uh, based on your perceived level of knowledge and experience versus your level of confidence in the job interview situation, uh, which helped me create 16 interview identities, which are later then turned into a book. But lockdown, maybe do the research. I got inspired by the research to help the job applicants, and that uh, in turn helped me create the interview prediction grid model. I noticed it's still kind of fresh. How many folks, you know, how, how do you think about, you know, leading folks through this model? And so far, how many folks has you, have you taken through it? And what would you say the, the kind of from and to looks like? Where they started, maybe, you know, what interview success was looking like versus after they've gone through this with you, what that looks like? It's really funny because the way you perceive yourself in life and in the job interview is different to how other people perceive you. So yes. I work with like hundreds of thousands of people uh, all the time. And uh, some people that I meet like come across to me like dead confident. I think, oh, they're quite charismatic and they're going to do well in the job interview. And then when I start chatting to them, like, oh, this imposter syndrome comes out. Mm -hmm. They've got these anxieties. Mm -hmm. They don't think they're that good for it. So a lot of this stuff is in people's mind. But the flip side, especially with the interview identity, is the, the employee's perception of that person as well. So it doesn't matter if you think you're confident uh, or you come across as confident or not, or if you come across as highly skilled or highly knowledgeable in your job sector. In the interview, it's how the employer perceives you. Yes. You might be the best person in your workplace. You might be highly skilled, highly competent. Everyone goes to you for advice and support. You're leading all the projects. You're, you know, you're, the, you're the boss without being the boss in the organization. But in the job interview, if you don't communicate your competencies confidently, the employer don't know that. They don't know yeah. you're the expert. They don't know you're the go-to person. All they know is what you talk about. Um, so the identity is really to get people to think about it from the employer's perspective. How does the employer, the interviewer, see them for that 45-minute recruitment process? Yeah. Now, this this interview uh, grid and such you talked about in the 16 interview types, to what level do people need to understand the interview type in order to improve their success? No, not really, because it's it's like with my rigs, um, which gets you to recognize your personality type, you do that and you can see sort of like your strengths and your areas of development. And it's the same with this uh, interview grid, really. It's, you don't have to know if you're self-assured or charismatic or unprofessional. It's about you just identifying what your strengths are in the interview and then what you can do to keep developing those skills. Because like I said, 
doesn't matter how good you are in the job role, it's how good you are in the interview that helps you get that, that next uh, rung on the ladder. And what you need to think about really is how you can come across more confident because confident creates likability, it improves rapport, mm-hmm. that gets the employees to want to listen to you a little bit more. Uh, and how you frame or how you structure your interview answers. So many skilled and experienced people just don't give enough information. Just give like generic statements, talk about the team rather than what they've done in that particular role. And a lot of people self disclose weaknesses rather than mm. being a self-promoter. So this is really to get you to reflect on yourself. So you go, you know, I do do that well, but that's the area that I need, really need to improve on. So one of the things you, you talked about, I want to go back to real quick is, and you've, you've said this a few times, so it sounds like one of the meaty takeaways is this ability to demonstrate a level of confidence. And what have you seen work best in terms of helping people shift and, and do, do more of that? So confidence is key. So James, like you come across as a very confident person to me. Because you're confident, like your tonality is very relaxed. You're talking in a, like a slow, uh, nice pace uh, uh, voice. You uh, nod along, your eye contact strong as well. Your facial expressions change. And sometimes you start a little bit loud and go quiet. That's because you're confident in yourself. Your mm. communication changes and wh- whatever you're talking about will change your tonality and your words. That's what really helps in a job interview as well because people like to listen to that sort of tonality. I'm a mm. hypnotherapist. When I want to send someone to sleep, I talk in a monotone voice very, sl- very, very slowly. And that drives people to sleep. You don't want that to happen yes. uh, in a job interview. But to help people c- become more confident, I do use some hypnotherapy techniques so I'll, mm. I'll try something live on air with you, James, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you got anything? You'd have to tell us what it is, but have you got anything that you're kind of scared of or anything that makes you anxious or a phobia or anything like that? Uh, extreme heights. Extreme heights. Okay. So I want you to imagine yourself being at, a, at an extreme height. So can you do that for me? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And everyone else listening to this, just think of anything that makes you scared. So a job interview, extreme heights, public speaking, spiders or, or whatever it is. Whatever you see, you feel. So when you imagine yourself in front of a spider or extreme heights or in a job interview, you'll feel that emotion of excitement or anxiety. So what do you mm-hmm. feel when you pitch yourself at extreme heights? Uh, I just felt a little flutter in my stomach. <laughs> a little flutter. <laughs> and on a scale of I'll... 1 to 10, with 10 being that's like fear, phobia, you, you know, you hate, hate that feeling, 1 being you're calm and confident, where are you on that scale? Uh, 7. 7, Okay. So I want you to get that far, and I want you to imagine pushing it outside your head. So everyone listening to this, yeah. get that, whatever you're scared of, imagine it in your mind and push it outside your head so you can see the edges of that far of that picture. Mm. Can you do mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. And for most people, it'll be a movie because we're more scared of things that seem real life. So you'll see the spider running or you'll imagine the wind uh, if you're at a great height or whatever. So I want you to pause that film so it becomes a stilled photograph. Hmm. And then next, drain the colour out of it. Let all the colour just drain away so it becomes a black Mm. and white stilled Mm -hmm. photograph. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been to like an old art gallery, James. Do you you remember those big old art frames, the wooden art ones or the iron ones? I want you to put your stilled black and white picture of that height into a big old frame. Mm. And we're Mm -hmm. not finished yet, but just now on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst and 1 being, you know, you're calm and confident. How do you feel now? I would say a five because I don't yeah. I don't feel any fluttering. It's already gone down too. So I want you to imagine I can step through the screen and take your black and white photograph. I'm going to put mm. it further and further away. So going further and further away, smaller and smaller. So it's the size of a postcard all the way down. So it's the size of a stamp 
further and further away, all the way so it's a dot on the horizon. And how do you feel now? One. I never push it towards you and it got bigger, brighter, and more colourful. How would you feel? I just got to a six. Yeah, and then all the way down again. So it's a dot on the horizon and then just yeah. let that dot disappear. How do you it's feel like now? It's like a one. Yeah, it's gone. So I yeah. use this technique with like phobia clients, hmm. but I kind of do it a bit more in depth. But just imagine you're going to speak on stage, you've got a job interview, you've got to do a presentation or anything, you know, going for a date or something. You're a little bit fluttering. Mm. You picture that thing in your mind, push it out, drain the colour, make it into a, a photograph and just push it further and further away. You can yeah. do that in three to four seconds while yeah. waiting to be invited into the job interview. That is interesting. Wow. You know what's interesting about that to me, Chris, is it's almost like the... Uh, it's almost like, you know, you have these, I would say these three circles, right? The circle of influence, the circle of control, the circle of concern. To overcome the circle of concern, you try to increase the circle of control, and it's, which you have more control over, obviously, and then the circle of influence through relationships and such. What just happened there was almost a shift of what was in the circle of concern over to the circle of control with this zoom in, zoom out thing. And in, in other words, right, giving me control of the the significance in my perspective, right? That's a, that's a pretty cool exercise. Yeah. yeah, because you're in most situations, your emotions control you. So you see something, the stimulus, the spider, the heights, the public speaking event, yeah. and then you feel that feeling like straight away and that controls you. What yeah. you're doing is taking back logical, analytical control to control your emotions. I kind of um, chimp, brain, uh, chimp brain, as they call it in the chimp, chimp paradoxy book, um, you know, he's, he's on all the time and it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And what you sometimes need to do is quieten that down and let your yeah. analytical, your new brain, um, your cortex at the front of your brain, your, your mind yeah. to take control. That's good. Kind of moving from the flight and the amygdala, the flight and f- uh, fight, fright, flight uh, reaction to uh, control. That's excellent. There's another one I would give too, if assuming that nervousness is what could be a debilitator in that meeting too, right? And, and if you're nervous, um, your voice can flutter, right? You could be getting a sweat. And, uh, you know, again, when I was earlier in my uh, leadership, one of the things I worried about was the public speaking, even in front of a group that I may be leading, 100 people, right? And uh, I went to Toastmasters, and one of the best things I learned as Toastmasters was that many public speakers have this problem with too much energy before they walk on stage. And again, remember, your nervous system can be your best friend, right? Because it's the same system that's going to protect you from so many things. But, you know, it doesn't look well to be on stage sweating, right? At least at the start. I mean, you may get there (laughs) presenting (laughs) with so much energy and whatnot, but you don't want to walk on stage already sweating. And so uh, what a gentleman taught me was that many speakers will sit on a chair quietly right before they go on stage and just press their heels down into the floor. And by pressing their heels and activating your quads, it pulls that energy down to the lower part of your body and releases it, right? So you just get to pull all this energy out of your system and just slow your breathing down and so on and so forth. And you'll walk on the stage much calmer. Same thing is true for an interview. You're sitting outside of the office waiting to go on or it's four or five minutes before the Zoom. Sit, press down, let you let yourself feel your body releasing that energy and coming back into a calmer state. Yeah. It did, so you get, you have to fight and flight, which we all know about. So you get into these anxious situations, fight and flight. You kind of want to get out there. Yeah. And you, your mind then changes your body. So you stop digesting food. Uh, your um, your blood goes to like the extremities of your body. Your short-term memory kind of disappears. So you kind of focus yes. uh, on the here and now. But when you do stuff to release that energy, like putting your feet down or rhythmic breathing or even the picture exercise, your heartbeat um, beats more normal, so it's not erratic anymore. You start digesting your food, so your body, body works 
uh, the way it should work. And your mind is then relaxed. Your mind actually, when it's stressed, shrinks as well. Um, so when it's not stressed, it's just in its normal size. And it just allows you to think in the moment without having all this additional pressure that really we're putting ourselves. Because in a job yes. interview, you're talking about you. You're the expert about you. No one knows yes. you better than yes. you. So it should be, this should be the perfect 45 minutes for you to be chatting about yourself. Yes, that's excellent. Excellent. So then the second thing you mentioned was the answers, providing better answers. I assume moving away from yes and no answers to answers with a bit more substance. But let's talk about that a little bit more. So the research says the high scoring answers are longer, more descriptive answers. So the more words per answer often results in more job offers. Uh, mm. People who use varied language, emotive root words, who also change their tonality, also see an increase in job offers. Data descriptive answers uh, are more likely to score high because in the structured job interview, which is what 90% of employers use, the referencing your answer against the job criteria on the interview scorecard. So the more data you can use, they can compare that to their situation, uh, their current team, and also the other applicants that are being interviewed uh, all day. So if you're saying I've done A, B, and C, and it resulted in 200% increase in this, that, and the other, and then someone else says something, but they've only had a 10% mm. increase, it's a massive comparison to make you uh, seem even stronger as a candidate. So long descriptive answers, use varied language, use emotive wor- words, but also give uh, data and specific information. That data and specific information is so important for a structured yes. job interview. Data and specific information. So I'm here more length, use emotive words, but data and specific information, which collectively sounds like tell stories. Yeah, yeah. So stories are so, so like... The two things you kind of need to do is have a structure to your interview answers. So your structure can be dead simple, like a, an opening, a middle, and an end. So I'll tell you what I'm sure. going. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about. Talk about it, and then summarize that point. Or mm-hmm. you know, describe a situation, the actions you took, and then the outcome. Have a couple of structures in your head because a structure gives you confidence. You'll have a start, a beginning, uh, and the end, Absolutely. and it creates a more detailed answer anyway. So you kind of want a structure, but in that structure, ideally, you've got to give lots of storytelling. Um, behavioral job interviews which is uh, interviews based on past experiences so you know tell me time you did this uh, rather than uh, what would you do in this situation they want you to tell stories because you're asking tell me about a time you did this particular task so they want that storytelling and storytelling is so powerful because uh, it talks to our amygdala brain it talks to our chimp brain it talks to our emotions when people are telling stories we visualize it and then we feel it a little bit like that you know, standing on the top of the cliff and moving a picture, you felt different emotions in your body. Yes. And that is that wasn't even proper story, storytelling. So storytelling elicits emotions. And if it's like, uh, you know, a negative scene, you know, like they're doing films, you always start a film off with like this big problem that's going to happen. That should mm-hmm. be the same in a job interview. Tell us about this horrible event that happened right. in the past. And then right. tell us how you, the hero, you know, saved the day and, and tell us about the positive outcome. So the employee goes from this like negative emotion, like this intrigue, what's going to happen, goes through the hero's journey and then after this like you know amazing positive yes. outcome so they, they they feel all those emotions in your story it's very powerful absolutely i'll just say as an interviewing manager what i'm looking to hear is that you will solve my problem i'm looking for evidence yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you will solve my problem yeah. that's it like the the structured job interview from an employee's perspective is to predict the job performance of each applicant absolutely. so i can see that you're the best person for this role, you'll fit into the team, the company culture, you've got similar values and you've got these skills and experience that you can bring to the team. There, If you get to the interview stage, delight you already because, like you said, they've had 200, 300, 400 applications. 
like Google get like 20,000 applications. Yeah. So if you're getting an interview, they like you. They don't just interview everyone because it takes so much time. Right. All you've got to be now is better than the other five or six people that are being interviewed on that same day. So let me let me ask this last question, because uh, I think this is a, a real touchy one. I think it's one that could be a lightning rod issue for people. One of the things you talk about in your book is overcoming conscious bias. I'd ask you to do two things. Talk a little bit about your research and what you find shows up doing interviews and then what people can do to, again, overcome it. So unconscious bias is the opinion the employer has of an applicant as soon as they meet that person. So they walk downstairs to get you from reception. And as soon as they meet you, they'll make an opinion based on your body size, your weight, uh, how you dress, your body, your posture language, your ethnicity, your gender, your perceived age, all these different things. Lots of different data is subconsciously filtered through their experience values and beliefs so they then create this uh, opinion and in, in, in an interview at the beginning it's kind of like a belief i like that person or for yes. some reason i don't like that a good reaction over that person it can also start though prior to the job interview so imagine this situation there's an internal vacancy and a manager a hiring manager is uh, getting a glass of water and the applicant's manager comes on and goes oh I, I see that you're interviewing james today i'm very surprised i don't really think he's that suitable for the role hmm. that opinion has an effect on the hiring manager. So it has yes. a horns effect, it's a negative opinion. So when they meet you, they've already got like a bias based on that other person's uh, opinion of you. Or the opposite is, uh, imagine, you know, I'm recruiting for someone to work for my organization. I go on their social media feed and they've got um, uh, stories on there about industry-related uh, models and theories. They comment on uh, groups related to the to the sector that I'm in and they're always giving opinions and sharing. I'm thinking, God, this person's a bit of an expert. I don't know right. if they're an expert because they're just sharing other people's stories and giving a thumbs up on social media. But right. perception creates an opinion about people. So that becomes the halo effect. I think this person is going to be yes. uh, really good. Not yes. all unconscious bias is negative evil, like affinity bias. Me having something in common with you, James, uh, will create likability. So we're both kind of in the self-help uh, arena, aren't we? We're both uh, done Toastmasters. Uh, we both do public speaking. So we always look for things that we have in common with other people. And if we find it, we kind of like them a little bit more. Uh, being attractive as well is... Uh, is uh, uh, not important, but has an effect. So these yeah. some research on... Uh, what is beautiful is good bias. So the people we find attractive, we think they're going to make better employees. We think they're going to be more intelligent, more likable, mm. more friendly, and a more uh, suitable fit for the team and the company culture, just based on, on that perceived attractiveness uh, of that particular applicant. <clears throat> so how do you handle unconscious bias when it's negative? So this yes. happened to me, James. I remember going for an interview once, and I worked in the self-help industry for, for years, doing like careers mm -hmm. advice and that sort of stuff. Uh, and generally speaking, in the UK, a lot, a lot of females uh, are in that industry. There's loads of males, but it's, it's, it's me and females. Yeah. And my name's Chris, isn't it? So Chris is for Christopher. Oh, it's also <laughs> for Christine as well. Yes. And I remember sitting in reception and this female uh, employee comes downstairs. And she's reading me, receiving. She looks up and she goes, oh, I thought you were going to be going to be a woman. And she had this like mm. shock on her face. Mm. And I knew potentially that could be like a negative thing. She had this right. uh, unconscious bias about me. So straight away, I reframed that opinion. I said, Oh, it's dead interesting that because a lot of people sometimes think I'm feminine because I got a lot of feminine traits that are really good for this particular role. I got empathy, I got great communication skills, I got great listening mm. skills, and as you can see from my resume, uh, I got loads of experience in helping people to be successful in their careers. So I reframed her yes. initial opinion straight away. 
Yeah, that's good. And and I mean, a lot of things happened in an interaction. Your your confidence played a role, right, in helping you like reply quickly with some wit and truism and lean right into the things they're going to be looking for in that role. That takes a lot to do in that moment. And so all these things really work together. Yeah, you can predict some of this stuff as well. When I first got into this industry, my first training job was training uh, warehouse staff to drive forklift trucks. And when I got that role, I was young, but I also looked really, I was immature as well. I was young, looked young, I was immature. Yeah. Um, and generally speaking, I used to train 40-year-old, like, you know, big guys in like these big warehouses. I used to like, carry these heavy weights all yes. over the place. So and I used to walk into the training room. You could see them all looking at me going, that is not the trainer, is it? <laughs> so you can predict people's uh, opinions about you, can't you? So if you're yes. applying for, um, you know, a new energetic digital company where, you know, they're trying to recruit young people, but you're an older person, you know they're going to have an unconscious bias about that. So you need to be able to say something that uh, reframes that situation. And reframing is uh, that easy. It's just giving data, but in a different perspective. Imagine going to the supermarket and you want to uh, get a yogurt. You go to the supermarket, there's two brands of yogurts. One says, this yogurt is 20% fat. And the other brand says, this yogurt is 80% fat-free. The same data, the same information just presented in in a new light. That's right. That's so good. That's so good. Chris, I want to I want to recap some of the, the points we talked about so folks can uh, if they haven't been taking notes, you can summarize them here. So the first thing Chris really dove into was this idea of confidence, right? And confidence helping the interviewer feel better about you uh, sooner. So dis- displaying that confidence. So one of the things, think about the exercise he did with me briefly, folks, the taking control of the perspective, right? And, and doing that quickly. Uh, he walked me through it in what? That was probably a minute, maybe 90 seconds. But the idea is that you can do that in a matter of seconds. Uh, and then to the example I gave you around releasing that nervous energy, right, to help you control your breathing and and, and work against that amygdala reaction uh, that happens sometimes. The second thing Chris dove into was providing better answers. And we summarized that with tell stories. The more length in the answer, the better. Use emotive words. Use data and information where you can't connect it to the problem that employer is trying to solve, right? And I would just add to that what he just talked about, reframe, right? So even in the conversation when you're given an answer or you're not asked to give an answer, as they're saying things to you, reframe it to provide a strong answer in the form of a story. And then this third piece of overcoming conscious bias and understanding that can happen in the positive and negative, but that you want to assume control and have the presentation that you want. One, he talked about, some things that can happen even before you get to the interviews, which is some of the things you do online. Please don't believe that you have an online you and an offline you. There's only one you. I always say it. Unless you have a cape and a phone booth, okay, and you're Superman, you don't get to have two yous, okay? There's one you. (laughs) So know that these interviewers are also looking you up if they're doing their due diligence before they even have the conversation to get a perspective of who you are in life. And then two, being open, being uh, reflective in communication, being confident is going to help with that bias. And thirdly, being a And you may say, well, I'm born the way I'm born. Yes, but you can still be clean, present yourself a certain way, groom a certain way and be intentional. That's the word I will use more than anything. Be intentional about your physical presentation when you show up. Chris, anything that I missed in that recap? I didn't realize we talked so much, actually. That's great. That's a great recap. (laughs) Hey, well, listen, thank you for the work you're doing. I'm sure it's helping many folks, particularly during this time. And thank you for joining me here on The Coiling Solution. Thanks, James. It's been a really fun chat. Thank you. 
you are informed, empowered, and can now be accountable. What were some of your takeaways from this episode? I always enjoy hearing from you, so please share. Additionally, if you have questions, here's some things that are new to you or need some clarity on some of those things, I am here to serve. Go to our website at thecorlingsolution.com slash podcast. Right below the show notes, you'll see a comment section. Tell me about some of your takeaways from the episode. You can ask your questions. You can mention challenges in the areas that we cover or tell me about guests you'd love to hear from. Alternatively, you can do the same through social media channels of Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you as always for linking up and I look forward to seeing you next episode.